Hey, welcome to the garage. We switched some things around. There's a big table, and now we don't have it in here. And I'm very happy about it. It's a lot cleaner. Today, we have a very special guest. I know I say that every week, but I mean, everybody we have is really great. So, <laughs> um, welcome, audience, our friend, Andrew. Good to be here, guys. How's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to be um, in the garage with you today. Andrew is. Um, pastor with New Life Church, mm-hmm. um, but he's done a lot of things, um, but I'm going to let him tell you guys about who Andrew is. So, Andrew, who are you? Well, how long do you have? What do you, <laughs> what do you want me to do here? You have 30 seconds, 45 seconds, seven, 17 me, minutes? Do we me, want a life story? Uh, yeah, give me the two-minute intro <laughs> to who Andrew Arndt is. Well, I'm born and raised in Wisconsin, so I don't know I don't know if your podcast gets that far north. Oh, okay. I'm a central Wisconsin kid. Uh, grew up in this little town, Marshfield, Wisconsin. Uh, which is uh, uh, a marsh and a field smashed together. And then there are some people that live there, about 18,000 of them. It's an unexciting... Sounds delightful. <laughs> it's delightful. Wow. Actually, an unexciting childhood, normal hijinks, all that stuff. I grew up in a great church. My parents helped to plant in central Wisconsin. That's cool. And uh, I felt a call to ministry, I think, from a pretty early age and didn't know really what to do with that, like you do, I think, or you don't, you know, when you're in junior high and high school. So I, I went off to Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I studied, studied business for four years. And then just really felt like, um, I, I felt like I needed to make some decisions towards that ministry call. And so I made the decision to go off to seminary and some pieces really fell into place for me on that. So we went, my wife and I was married at the time. I got married after my freshman year of college, by the way. Not like wow. anybody does wow. that anymore. Young it's like marriages, unusual. come on. So I was 19 and she was wow. 20 when we I got married. It. Our parents signed off on it. They were fine. They loved it. They were great with it. And and we're celebrating 19 years of marriage. That is incredible. This coming August. Here so this August, uh, half of my life will have been unmarried and the other half will have been married perfectly equidistant for both sides for some reason i've literally i've been thinking about that concept i don't know i heard it on some kind of podcast like the guy was like yeah i've been married longer than i've been single yeah and that has just been bouncing around in my head well we crossed the line a few years ago where we were together longer in our lives than we had been apart but now to you know be staring at the threshold of like married longer than we were single yeah you know people just don't get married that young anymore but we've i mean there have been hard things but it's the best decision that we ever made. I'm glad that we got married as young as we did. I always joke with people that the cement is still wet when you're that young. Your life hasn't taken a super concrete shape. So you're just really growing together. I brought three cardboard boxes and a backpack, I think, into the, our marriage when we got married. So you just have nothing, and you're was still discovering Was there anything yourself. in the cardboard boxes? <laughs> it was just empty cardboard boxes. Empty. Here you go, honey. <laughs> it's sort of a symbol. <laughs> I'm hoping that we can fill this with something. <laughs> just, just open vessels right here. Yes, that's, that's right. So anyway, went off to Chicago. I studied, um, studied theology for three years, worked as an associate pastor in Oklahoma after that from 06 to 09. And then in 2009, Really had the the privilege of a lifetime of helping some friends plant a church just up the road here in Denver, and uh, the the church was fifty or sixty people when we came, and we grew it to around five hundred. Real uh, interesting church, like mm. house churches was kind of our bread and butter. We gathered together; that was a total community on Sundays, and we were sort of this neo 
monastic, liturgical, charismatic, justicey, organic thing. Wow. I, I loved organic. it. It was just one word. It I... was like, it was just beautiful. It was like, I always describe our churches bloom and it's still going. It's great. They're, and we have a great friendship with them. I always describe bloom as like, we were trying to take all of the best things that Christians had ever done in 2000 years of church mm. history and, and put it all on. Yeah. Life. Cause yeah, God gave us that. Why don't we do that? Yeah. Let's try that. So it was like this ongoing creative and theological experiment. It was really fun. Felt like the Lord was calling us to step away a few years back. And so we joined the staff of new life. I'm a teaching pastor there. And uh, so I teach and preach across our campuses and develop resources for our teaching team. And I've helped them write books and we host a podcast too. And so I'm busy. It's fun. Awesome. Got um, married, like I said, and I got four kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. The oldest two are in junior high, just to give our listeners a sense of wow. the scope of the family. So that's Andrew Arndt in a nutshell. There you go. But we're going to get into something today that is super important, and that's church. Mm-hmm. And it's a big word. And, and I think everyone, the 20-something people have a hard time with that, with what mm-hmm. church is. And so- we kind of want to jump right out, right in first to defining church and just give us a little bit of a uh, little theology background, I guess, on, on Old Testament, New Testament. You know, what yeah. what is church? Some biblical context. Well, I think if you don't understand the biblical story, church is not going to make a lot of sense to you. It's going to seem like um, a glorified version of the YMCA, you know, or like the YMCA <laughs> is like a place yeah. where I... I I go a to get a need. There, yeah. I have a membership there, and I go there. There's a specific, you know, role that it plays in my life. I exercise there, and maybe I take some classes at the YMCA. So I've kind of like made some friends, but mainly the YMCA exists in my life to serve this one specific and limited thing. That's our framework for thing. Or or church for us becomes a membership to the library, or it becomes some other volunteer organization that I'm a part of primarily to meet my own needs and in this case it would be spiritual needs right Mm -hmm. um and part one of the other reasons that this is hard for us i mean we i think we get off on the wrong foot is because we live in a culture that prizes spirituality as a path to Mm self-fulfillment so there's a lot of spiritualities out there and almost all of them in some way fall under the category of self-help you know it's all about um, what do you need to do to connect with a sense of the transcendent? Uh, let's talk for a little bit about meditation. You want to cultivate good alpha brainwave patterns so that you can be less stressed out, so that you can have a more you know tranquil presence in society and blah blah. It's the, the spirituality, and um, I think spirituality and I think fulfillment and those kinds of things, those are concepts in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's what the scripture is like driving at when it talks about church. And I think that the first thing that you have to uh, recognize, you're talking Old Testament and New Testament, is that God has always been trying to form a people. So we're not, God is not just trying to give people one-off interesting experiences with him so that they can be fulfilled, but he's trying to, he's trying to form a people. And, and you see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, where after the fall and after all the chaos that came from the fall, the first thing really that God does is he calls Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm calling you and I'm calling your family and I'm calling you uh, to be a blessing to the nations and I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse and all the nations on the earth will be blessed. 
through you. There's this cosmic vision of a people that are going to carry blessing to the world. And the Hebrew word for blessing is beracha, which is um, one scholar, and I think he's right about this, he defines it as God's power for life. Mm. And to think about that, that that's, there's a community, there's a family, there's a people that are carrying God's power for life into cultures and civilizations and societies that are broken by sin and death and violence of every stripe. Here comes this family. They're part of God's rescue effort in the world. So then when you look at Israel in the Old Testament, Israel grows up. I mean, they, we're, you know, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Israel grows up out of that family root and becomes the family that supposedly is going to bring blessing to the nations. The thing that we learn in the Old Testament is that Israel was actually infected with the very sickness that she was tried, trying to cure. Right. And so she falls into sin and apostasy and the exiles happen and her life is shattered and broken just like the lives of the nations are shattered and broken. And so what does God do? God sends Jesus. And Jesus in the New Testament really is the, he is the retelling of the Israel story. Like here's the one faithful Israelite. Here's the one faithful son of Abraham. Here's the one faithful son of David who's going to carry the promises to completion. And so in his death, he destroys sin and death. And in his resurrection, he creates a people that grow up out of that, that root of Abraham, that root of David. So what is the church? The church is that group of people that in and through the resurrection of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit is carrying forward God's blessing into the world. And I say that's a long telling of Old and New Testaments, but we could go a lot deeper on it. But it's a way of saying that in the Bible, the whole frame of reference for thinking about church is really different than the way that most of us think about church. And I, as a pa- I've been a pastor now for 13 or 14 years, I think, and I have often... Uh, in my time as a pastor, I've had people leave our churches, you know, the churches that I've been a part of or have pastored. And, and their reasons for it are just not exactly what you would hope for on the level of biblical reasons. It winds up just kind of a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times it just winds up becoming like, well, this church wasn't really meeting our needs, you know, or we just kind of, I don't know, we just kind of felt done with it. Or this other church had like really cool worship. Mm. And you're like, man, whoa, like you don't get it at all. Like the church is like, it's just different than that. It's not an institution that primarily exists to meet your needs, but it primarily exists to call you into a greater relationship, into a family through which you bear witness to the Messiah and right. carry his power forward in the world. Right. Um, specifically, Andrew, I kind of in this podcast, and what we want to talk about today is, is what does church look like pertaining to people in their 20s because it's such yep. a weird time yeah right um you're just out of college or you're in college or, or you're that age and what does church look like for those people and that's kind of where we, the direction we want to yep. go um because it's confusing right and so i'd love for you just to kind of share your thoughts kind of starting out on what does church look like in your 20s well i don't i don't think uh, so i even the question is a funny question isn't it you know like what does it look like in your 20s well I think part of the the reason that we're even positioned to ask that question uh, is because still we think of the church as this, okay, so the church has, it needs to speak to all of the life stations of people. Well, and try to resource all of the life stations of people. Well, it does, but primarily the church is this, again, it's like this family that you're called into. So what does church like look like in your 20s? Um, I think that in a perfect world, your 20s 
are really that moment when you're no longer mom and dad are not dragging you to church anymore. You don't have anybody compelling you to go to church. So there's no external factor that's kind of keeping you there. You're there of your own free will and volition. Hopefully what you're doing in your 20s is you're clarifying your reasons for being part of the church. You're understanding that on a theological level, you know, a deep biblical level, but then you're giving yourself to the church in a really profound way. So you're serving with your gifts and you're giving of your resources. In your 20s, most people that are in their 20s um, are unmarried. So you have, you theoretically have more time on your hands. One of the things that's interesting about the New Testament is that Paul seems to, you know, the Apostle Paul seems to tilt a lot of his energy towards single people. In the church, what we do, in the modern church, a lot of times what we do is we create ministries for single people. We go, oh, you poor single person. There's got to be something. Here's a young adults ministry or here's a singles night. Here's a singles night because you all are so like lonely, right? We got to like create something. So we see them as a problem or we got to figure out a way to get you married as soon as possible. So we see the single people in their 20s or single people in their 30s as problems to be fixed rather than people that God is calling into unique vocation and, and people who have something really unique to offer the church. So in your 20s, I always hope that that those people are really going, man, I've got time on my side here. And I have a lot of it to give. So I'm going to live sacrificially. And I'm going to lead small groups. I'm going to volunteer for everything. And I'm going to, I'm going to give sacrificially of, of my financial resources. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be there. I'm going to like lift the church of Jesus Christ. Because I know that down the line, if I do get married and have children and the career starts heating up, things are going to start pulling on me a little bit. It's going to be harder to do so. So I'm going to seize this opportunity in my life to really build up the church of Jesus wow, Christ. So, so you're saying your 20s is, is a... Is a- Really a great time to be involved in the church. That's what I think. I think it's an awesome time to be involved in the church. And I think that, but I do think that there's a problem here with church leaders, that sometimes as church leaders, we look down on people in their 20s and we go, oh, these are people that still need to be babysat or they can't make serious commitments or whatever. And I just think that that's a robbery of the body of Christ. I think that we're, I think that we're stealing strength from the body of Christ when we do that. Andrew, I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult for 20-somethings to get involved in church, and something I've heard from a lot of feedback uh, regarding questions I've asked some friends about this topic is not finding the right church. And what they mean by that is I get this this idea a lot of this question of why is it easier to to find faults and problems with a church and use that as a reason to not go to church? Like, where does yeah. that come from? Well, it's laziness. It's laziness and and apathy and narcissism. Well, it is. I mean, I I think that it's easier to point the finger at problems in the church to shift the blame than it is to go to be self-searching. They go, but what, how have I contributed to this? Or where do I need to grow in response to this? It's easy to say, oh, I didn't like the message that pastor gave that week. He gives boring messages. Or the, you know, they make us, I actually heard someone say, Oh, well, the meet and greet period in the morning is too long. And right. It feels weird, so I don't go there anymore. So I don't go there anymore. But <laughs> it's like I shudder, I shudder to think about that person's whole life. Yeah. Like, are you that shallow? Does this matter or not? But see, that goes back to that root problem of how we position church for people. Mm-hmm. That we go, church is a place where you can get your spiritual needs met and hopefully make a few friends and you can contribute to some cool causes. We haven't told people like to be in Christ is to be in the church. I, you know, one of the one of the old doctrines of the church that's been around for a long, long time 
is that outside of the church, there's no salvation. It, I mean, you, now, in evangelical Christianity, we don't think that a lot because we're so focused on a person's individual right. relationship with Jesus. Right. And it's conceivable to us that that relationship could exist outside the church. But how did you hear about Jesus in the first place? Yeah. The church. Right. And who's been carrying that story forward for 2,000 years? The church. The The church church has been doing that. So Jesus is communicated to us by his church. And when I say communicated, I don't just mean verbally, but his presence is communicated. One of the great passages in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, Paul says that, that the church is the body of Christ through whom God is filling all things with his fullness. Mm-hmm. So the fullness of Christ Jesus is racing into the world precisely through the church. And people just don't think that way. They think of the church as a place where I can hear some nice songs and get an encouraging message. And maybe I'll give a little bit, you know, like Wikipedia bugs me sometimes about giving. So I give to Wikipedia yeah. and I give to my church because my yeah. church bugs me a little bit. Yeah. But we've just taken the idea of the church, I think, off the table for people. So so I think in some ways we've enabled that shallowness, but it is just so cha- it, it is so shallow. It becomes just kind of consumer Christianity, consumer relationship to church. I want to come back to that consumer idea, but first I, w- I also want to talk about another point that has been brought to my attention kind of in thinking about this. And a lot of people are like, why do I need to go to church? It, sound, it seems pointless. And, and what, I, what I mean by that when they're saying that is, oh, well, you know, we have all these ministries like like we have Young Life, and mm-hmm. I met Jesus through Young Life. And young Life is incredible; and it's great. But people are like, "Oh, well, I got a Young Life, or I lead Young Life, so I don't really need to go to church on Sunday too." Right? Or all these great, you know, uh, Campus Crusade, all these other ministries, or I have I do a Bible study once a week, so that's my church. Or, right? Or I, you know, just watch a, you know, a stream by myself uh, on yep. Sunday morning, so I don't have to go to church. What What do you think about that? Because that's a super popular opinion. Well, I think it goes back to the point I just made, which is that all of those things depend upon the church to exist. Mm -hmm. And uh, the young life, Christians are running that. Right. You know, and that video, that sermon video that you watch, somebody is preaching that. And there's a whole group of people behind that and a whole story around that that made that person who's preaching that message about Jesus possible. So when you remove yourself from that, I think you're, or the small group that you go to, that's just really encouraging for you. Well, that small group still depends upon the church spread out throughout time and space and history. So you might as well just admit that and then lean into the church as far as you possibly can. Now, I do get it that there are some people that have been so wounded and hurt by church that to darken the doors of a church is a very terrifying thing for them. And there's trauma that they need to work through. And I get it. But if there's not, if there's not devastating trauma that's been on the table for you and it's just a matter of you creating church that's kind of real convenient for you, then you've got a real problem on your hands. I mean, church it, it, church is the experience of being with people that we would choose to be in our lives. And it's the experience of being with people who we would not choose to right. be in our lives. And that's uh, in the New Testament. Paul says that what is happening in the church is that God is bringing Jews and Gentiles together. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. Right. At all. They just didn't. And he says that what's happened in Christ Jesus is that the barrier has been broken down between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free. All of the old barriers that used to define us now have been broken down in Christ Jesus so that this new humanity can emerge. And guys, like we're living in an age right now where everybody is retreating into their tribal little categories and camps. Well, I'm Democrat. Well, I'm Republican. Well, I'm Libertarian. Well, 
I'm from this side of the globe. Well, I'm from that side of the globe. Well, I'm from this neighborhood and I'm from that neighborhood. We don't associate with people like you. And we're so fearful of other people. And we're so divided that we need, like, what, what is going to heal this broken world? It's not just a bunch of people having isolated spiritual experiences. It's somehow Coming the spirit together. of the living God calling Democrats and Republicans to the cross. It's the spirit of God calling black folks and white folks to the cross. It's the spirit of the living God bringing folks from the east and from the west and from the north and the south together to worship the God revealed in Jesus. Right. So there is something cosmic on the line with being a part of the church. And when you start thinking about it that way, it helps lift your engagement with church above the pettiness. And actually, you begin to see how, in some ways, you sticking with church, even when it's annoying to you, is one of the most prophetic and world-changing things that you can do. Because what the devil would love nothing more than to have is a bunch of people who go, well, I don't know, the meet and greet is too long. I'm going back to my living room. And now the world is divided. He wins. Right, exactly. He wins. He loses when people come together and they lock arms and they say, we are part of the single body of Christ that the Lord is raising up in the world to beat back the forces of sin and death and division. That's so good. That's really good. Um, let's touch on something really quick. This was just on my mind. Um, let's differentiate a building from a congregation. Yeah. Um, cause I feel like with a lot of, with a lot of people where the, where the hurt comes from, is just a whole bunch of people in a building. Yep. Um, and, like when Jesus was talking to Peter, he's like, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my, yep. my congregation, my people. Um, and just kind of what that looks like. I mean, Nick and I experienced the ecclesia this summer, all crammed in to a tiny house yeah. up off of whatever street that is off of Garden of the Gods. Yeah. So, and what it is, is this like this just intermingled. Yeah. You see my dirt. I see your dirt. Yeah. Like so tight community. Yeah. That you you literally work out faith in that that you can't experience on your own. Or right. You can't experience in shallow relationships. Um so I don't know. I gotta spoke too much, but do you want to touch on that? Well, yeah, I think we need to distinguish between the building, yep. the church as a building, and the church as an organic living entity. Mm-hmm. And uh God is a God of place. Place matters to God. So when he calls his people out of Egypt, he calls them into the promised land and he calls them eventually to build a tabernacle and then the temple and there's a palace for the king and there's a space that houses Israel's life. But even Solomon, when he builds the temple in the Old Testament, he actually says like, look, this can't contain you, this temple. Mm -hmm. Like you're the God who fills the heavens and the earth and this points us to you and this houses something important for us, but it, it can't contain you. So place is important, but place is not place is not ultimate. Place is, place is space where the divine presence can inhabit and can inform us, inform us in the image of God. So my family has a house on the east side of town, but our family is not the house. Mm-hmm. The house is the place right. that we become family together. And I'm grateful to have that. So I think that we need to, distinguish between those two things and here's where it's important because you have a lot of people who will go well i'm part of church we'll peel that let's peel that back a little bit and they go well i go to church on sunday and i'm very faithful with that i'm there you know three out of four times a month or whatever 
and I give there and I help out with this one particular ministry. Okay, good. Yeah. You started. Yeah. But I mean, it's better what, than a lot of people. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. better it's better than nothing. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're kind of going to this location where a thing happens and you engage it about this much. Yeah. And I I just don't think that's the way that the Bible talks about church. The Bible talks about church as we're integrated one with another. So that in the same way, I mean, the body of Christ, right? That whole idea in the same way that my arm is not just, uh, it's not just incidentally related at a couple different points to the rest of my body, but it's integrally, integrally related with the rest of my body. It has this important role to play and it's receiving life from the rest mm-hmm. of the body. And it also has this role to play where it contributes to the life of the body. Right. So we just, I, I think what I'm trying to say is we need to walk, I think the call of the New Testament, the call of scriptures is to, we need to walk deeply mm-hmm. in relationship with other people. And I do think that that's part of the reason that sometimes you hear people say, well, my small group is more church to me than church, because what's happening there is they're experiencing really deep life on life. Right where the boundaries, the old boundaries kind of start to fall and you really start experiencing like, I have a group of people now that I don't have to be all religious around, quote unquote. I have people that I can share life with. So they're experiencing that. And then what's happening is they're saying that that should cancel out the broader institution. I don't think it, I don't think it should. I think those things need to sit together, but you can see why that happens with people because we crave communion. We Mm -hmm. crave intimacy. I mean, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a communion. God is an intimacy inside of himself and when he makes us in his image he makes us for that so that's the goal is you want in a way you want to lose your life in the church and not in a way that's cultish but in a way that's just it's integrated you know it almost sounds like when you're well you know i i give a little bit on sunday and you know sometimes i help out and i greet people at the door on sunday morning so that's good enough it's like moderation it's like you're moderating your church and there's a quote in screw tape letters yeah. C.S. Lewis, yeah. where um, Uncle Screwtape is talking to his nephew, and, and, he, and he says, um, he says, a moderated religion is as good <laughs> as no religion at all. Oh, it's good. Um, and sometimes more amusing. Yes. And what he's speaking about is, we're doing our job, the enemy. This is right. We're doing our job just as well by putting the seed into the in, into this follower's head of, right. oh, well, I'm doing just enough, then completely dis- discrediting it. Like, it's just as bad. You almost inoculate yourself against it, right? Yeah, because you have a certain level of engagement with it, but you haven't you haven't really yielded to the full call of Christ to come into it. Right. I I totally agree with that. I think that happens to a lot of people. I think they go, well, look, I, you know, I pay my taxes to the IRS. I vote when the city asks me to vote, and I go to the church about this much, and so I'm good with the big man upstairs. And I, I just think it's that's, and you're right. I mean, it's as good as no religion at all, except that it's worse because it makes you you feel as though you do have some religion. You right. feel as though you do have God. Yeah. And, but God, I'm telling you, man, God wrecks you in community. Mm-hmm. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Mm-hmm. Think about the metaphor. Yeah, It's unpleasant. In right. order for the iron to be sharpened, sparks are going to fly. And unless you're in situations with people where sparks fly, you have to butt up against what philosophers have called the other, the mystery of the other, people that are different than you, that think different from you and behave different from you, unless you have to butt up against them, you're never going to achieve the holiness of life that God would have right. for you. It's the church that does that for Seriously. you. But keeping, I vol- I come on Sundays and I give a little bit and I volunteer in this one thing. It's dangerous. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's a strategy just for keeping the church at a safe distance, at arm's right. length, you know? 
what's comfortable for me. Yeah. Well, or maybe it's like the husband who he makes he's a he's faithful at his job and he makes sure that the bills are paid and he's always there at the dinner table with his kids and he makes sure to get his wife flowers every Thursday when he comes ho- home from work. But all of that is a shield so that he doesn't have to really enter into intimacy with his family. His kids don't know who he is. He's never had a really authentic conversation with his wife. You know, their sex life is totally empty because they're not connecting on the heart level. We do this. And sometimes it's just fear. It's strategies of avoidance. We don't want our innermost being to be exposed to other human beings. And so that's we go, what church so here's should... what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a situation where you stay there, but I have I can maintain the pretense that we're connected uh-huh. when we're not really connected. That's one of the – I keep bringing this back to training guys just because – the just all the guys in the house together i uh, i remember hearing about like oh the the real healing comes from the community of of the other guys around you and i'm like what are you talking about they're the same age as me they're younger that can't be true and and um there was like a month straight where i was i was waking up early i was going out on the porch and before work and i was in my bible and i think it was 2 weeks into that god was just like luke knock it off stop mm. you're coming out here with me so that you can get an upper leg so that you can get some kind of revelation without being in community with Ooh. these guys yeah he's like get back in the house don't you see how that's sin that's and it showed it's it competitiveness showed. and rivalry yeah. but it took community to flush that out of you yeah. because yeah. what yeah because once and I, I remember this yeah once you started to get more in the gritty with us which sucks it was not it was not fun yeah but your life changed. And mm-hmm. I remember month three sitting with you in the basement when you had a breakthrough and just the change mm-hmm. in your life since then. I learned how to cry again. Of being <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Of rubbing, you know? of being yeah. in the community yeah. and getting in the trenches together. And that's what church yeah. can and should be. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say one more thing about guys in their twenties and particular yes, people please. in their twenties? So the other so part of this is healing and transformation. But the other part is contribution. And I, I just got done reading through first uh, and second Chronicles. And I just had a, I had a great time reading through David's mighty men. Mm. And those are young guys yeah. that they grow up together and they really become warriors. But from a young age, they're warriors. Yeah. And David is described, David, the shepherd boy is also described when he comes into Saul's court in first Samuel uh, 17, he's described as a warrior. Yeah. He's a warrior. And he's young. He's 18, 19. He's young. He's a kid. 20, he's a teenage yeah, boy. Right. And when he goes before Saul, he says, well, your servant killed the lion and the bear, and so he's going to kill this, this Philistine too because he's defied the armies of the living God. David rushes to the battle line. His self-identity is as, as a warrior, as a, as, a, as a contributor. And we have this, there's this new thing in our society called delayed adolescence where we're telling men and women in their 20s that they're still not fully grown up yet because they haven't gone through their normal rites of passage and they're not really going to be grown up until they're 28, 29, 30, 31, mm-hmm. da, da, da. And I just think they're, that's so destructive. It's bogus, I think. It's totally bogus. And part of, what, part of why we need the church is in the church, when you're 21, 22, you have the, the privilege of being in proximity with older men who can call things out of you and call yep. you to be the warrior that you need to be. And by the same token, when you start rising up in that warrior spirit, uh, you'll give that away to the younger generation that's coming up behind you. So what I have, like I mentioned earlier, I've got four kids and the oldest two are junior high boys. And I'm telling you, 
the the relationships that they have had in our church that have been the most transformative for them have been their relationships with their youth leaders who are y'all's age. Mm-hmm. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Men of God who are honoring the men of God who are older than them and are also modeling what it looks like to be a man of God when you're 23, 24. And that's resonating with my boys. They're going, these guys are role models. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> they love their wives and they serve the church and they love us and they're interested in us and they honor the word of God. And I, I want to be like that when I grow up. And I, there's an opportunity missed here to be to start entering into that space of being a big brother or a big sister spiritually or even the beginnings of being a mother or a father spiritually um, because we're telling people that church is all about getting your, you know, your needs met or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Andrew, I kind of want to move into a little bit more of the practical side. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is... What does it mean? And and we're we're gonna come back to that consumer piece we talked yeah. about because just so you guys know, me and Andrew have talked talked about this before. And I just mm-hmm. let you know that. But <laughs> um, what does that consumer piece look like? Because what does it mean to be involved in the church, and how do you do that? And when you're in your twenties, you know, right. it's it's easy to understand. Like, oh well, the you know the elders of the church, and then there's like the children of the church. But right. I'm in the middle, and I'm not a youth student. Right. What is my role? Yeah. How do I be involved? Um, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Wait, so what's the question? Oh, you're asking how to be involved. Yeah, how to be involved. Well, I think you need to, you know, when young, we're, I'm, I'm talking about the, I'm talking about Samuel and David and all that here because we just preached through first Samuel at our church. But when young Samuel. And it was awesome, by the way. Cause, <laughs> I, yeah. They were pretty good. They were good messages. When, uh, when young Samuel first starts hearing the voice of God, uh, he mistakes it for the voice of Eli. And so he goes to Eli. And Eli was the priest in the temple. And remember, Samuel had been dedicated to the Lord, so he lived at the temple. And he starts hearing the voice of God. He thinks it's Eli. And he goes to Eli, hey, your servant, you know, you called. And Eli's like, you crazy kid, go back to bed. And this happens a number of times. And then Eli recognizes what's happening. God's calling him. And he says, so next time that happens, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'm here. Behold, I'm here. And he does. He hears the the voice of God, the word of God. And then from that time forward in his life, Samuel did not let God's words fall to the ground and God did not let Samuel's words fall to the ground. They lived in intimate relationship with one another. But the posture of Samuel's heart, here I am, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, right? There's something, I think there's something to that. I think that sometimes we come to the church with too many expectations about, well, you know, I, I've taken uh, I've taken the Myers Briggs, and I know my Enneagram, and I've just and this is what and so we have these expectations about exactly how we're going to contribute. And I just that's our idea. I just don't. Yeah, it's our idea, and I just don't think that's the way of Jesus. I think that the way of Jesus is you come in, and you don't come high and mighty. You come saying, "Here I am," and you go, "What?" Does that does that room need to be swept over there? I'll sweep that room. Is are there dirty diapers that need to be changed? I'll change those. I guess maybe in our time we don't let young men change dirty diapers anymore. <laughs> like liability issues. But you get my point. Like, what's the grunt work that needs to be done? Here? Right. I'm just here to serve. I'm not coming in. I'm not walking in going. Da, 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 da. Here Look I am. Me. I'm Look God's gift to yes. this church. I'm coming in going. I just want to help. I believe that God's called me to you and I'm going to do my best. But that's difficult. To cause this place to rise. Well, it's a, there's a because death. Because of the consumer. Well, completely. 
it's we, we've been trained this is kind of where i wanted to go yeah is we've been trained to consume to consume take, consume rather than give and then all of a sudden we have to switch now because we're not 22 well not, you know right Right, and we can't be consumers. That's not the spirituality of the kingdom. The spirituality of the kingdom is Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you that also was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a, of a servant, a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus. It was Jesus lowering himself, Jesus emptying himself. And that's why God exalted him. And it's his lowering himself that, that saved us. And Paul says, so the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, let that mind be in you. And then he goes on to exhort the Philippians, basically saying to them, look, so do stuff without complaining and arguing and don't be a don't be conceited and don't be arrogant and serve one another in love. And that's how you make the kingdom tangibly present. So that's a philosophical, theological way of answering your question. Um, Nick, I, I, I think you have to just come into the church and I think that you have to go, here I am. Tell me how I can be most right. useful. What do you need? Here, here are some gifts that I have. I think I can maybe serve you in this way, but this is what I've got. Also, I'm committed to opening my life up to people here. And I know that's going to be scary, and I know it's going to be hard, but as long as God has called me to this place, I'm going to be open and I'm going to be vulnerable. So are there small groups? Are there things that I need to be a part of? And what are we working on in the city? Where are we serving? You know, how are we bringing light and hope and healing to the city? I want to be there on the front lines with all of you. I want to live in the common life of this church in a way that makes a difference and, and that matters. So I think that you got to, I think that you got to come with open hands. And, and I think that you also got to assume that, to be in the church is really to be in a covenant relationship um, until and unless God calls you out. And if and when God calls us out, he usually, I, I don't think God does that lightly, and I don't think he does it often. I don't think that God is in the business of just shuffling the deck of the church all the time. So most right. of the time when I people, hear people go, oh, we just really felt like our time there was done. Eight times out of ten, I think it's BS. Yeah. I think they're just trying to justify not wanting to forgive somebody or being annoyed with things and not being willing to work through it. Right. I think that you need to really feel like God is calling you somewhere else. I think that that should be checked with your leaders. And I, I think there should be wide affirmation that, yeah, there's a season here that's done and it's time now for you to go be a, a full scale contributor somewhere else. You know, right. I don't think that that happens. Like when we came from Denver, that was a process that I was the pastor of that freaking church, you know, and that was a process that was discerned over the course of about a year and a half because it's not a small thing right. to leave a body, you know, and to integrate into a new body. So anyway. Let's talk about the <laughs> uncomfortable one, giving. Yeah. Mm, I don't think anyone in their 20s knows how to give. Right. I don't know how to. Unless you work for a nonprofit. Right. Right. I, I'm learning more now. Yeah, but I'm kind of myself just in that process, even just through New Life Church, of learning like how to give and, and why to give and what it really looks like. So, and it's 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 a uncomfortable topic. So, yeah, let's talk about that one a little bit. We're, yeah, we don't have a lot of money. We're yeah. we're we're you know either just got out of college or we're in college, and should we give? Yeah, you should give. You should give. Everybody should give all that they can. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the New Testament standard. Just give what you give what you can, and give all that you can, and and if it's possible for you to do so, give to the point where it hurts. Give sacrificially. Yeah. 
Um, I'm writing a book right now and doing a lot of research on Mother Teresa for a chapter that I'm writing. And that was one of the things that Teresa said, that Jesus gave everything. Like he gave not just until it hurt, but he gave until the there was nothing left. Until yeah. There was nothing left. Which is why we say that the blood of Jesus covers us. What we're saying is that God's radical gift of himself isn't more than enough for us. It's the healing of the world. And so in Teresa's mind, she said, because Christ Jesus did that, we at least need to give until it hurts. And really the goal for us is that we take the whole cup of our lives and just like the son of God did, we pour it out until there's nothing left. And that's a sweet smelling offering and a sacrifice to God. So I don't think we actually just recorded a podcast on this not long ago. It was one of the most fun ones that we've done talking about tithing. I was brought up and I've, but like I told you, I was born and raised in the church and my mom, I've been tithing since I was old enough to know what money was. You know, I mean, my mom would make me tithe off of my birthday money when I was three years old. You know, <laughs> So that was just like ingrained in me. And we all often heard verses like bring the full tithe into the storehouse and all that stuff that there may be food in my house. Yes, 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 yes. But the longer I've walked with this, the more I've seen that in if tithing is an Old Testament principle, sometimes the wrong move that we make is we go, well, in the New Testament, right. um, it's not, it doesn't work the same in the New Testament. It's like different in the New Testament. And by different, we mean less. <laughs> and in the New Testament, it's radicalized. Mm-hmm. It's totally radicalized. So whereas in the Old Testament, it's 10%, and then there are some other gifts and offerings that you took in there, and that's pretty much okay. The New Testament goes, why don't you give everything? <laughs> and that's yeah. what you see in Acts, you know? After the Spirit descends upon this group of people, in Acts chapter 2, the great day of Pentecost, it says that nobody claimed that any of their possessions was their own. So they all just went, there was this new social reality that had been created by the Spirit of God through the, the, the Spirit bringing the resurrection to bear on a group of people. And they go, wait, I'm so consumed with love for you and with commitment, a sense of commitment to this group that I'm going to sell my stuff and radically give it. Well, it's, so, it's like rich young, the rich young ruler. Yeah. Where he comes to Jesus and he's like, you know, I've been your faithful servant. I've done everything you've asked. Blah, blah, blah. Totally. And Jesus says, well, give everything you have to, give to the poor. Give everything. Yes. And he, and he walks away sad because yes. you can't do that. Yeah. yeah. There should be something in us. I mean, I, one of the ways, and the Lord said to do a lot of work in me uh, about this, where, where 10% just felt like it was enough to me. You know, and then you go, okay, now I've got the 90, other 90% that I need to live off of. And of course, I need to like save responsibly and all that. And I... The more ground the Spirit of God gains in you, the more your desire, I think, is not, it's not like, well, Lord, do you want me to give 50, 15% now? Are you asking me to increase my percentage a little bit? I think what happens in you is you start going, Lord, I would actually just love the opportunity to empty out my bank account. Right. Impossible. Right. So if you have something you want me to give to, would you bring that across and I'll I'll just be radically generous because it's all, because I'm, this is, it's all yours. It's all yours. So I'll give radically to the church and I'll give radically to the poor and I'll give radically to my friends and to my family. And I don't want to have anything left over really because the goal of this is not to have anything left over because at the end of our lives, it's all taken away from us anyway. So it's either going to be ripped forcibly away from us by the icy hand of death or during the days of our earthly sojourn, we are going to gladly give it all to God. Try to unencumber ourselves of our possessions, you know? And there's something in that. I, I The Desert Fathers, to me, are a big inspiration. These guys that wandered into the desert in the third and fourth and fifth centuries of the church, these guys were so radical about Jesus' call to be poor in spirit that they just gave everything away. And whenever they would have a little bit of extra of anything, they would go, 
this extra obviously can't meet a need of mine right now. So what would I save it for? That's stupid. Obviously, this extra that I have in my hand, this is to fill the hungry stomach of somebody else. Get rid of, get rid of, get rid of. And they lived a kind of vitality of spiritual experience that few of us touch. In part, I think, because we make ourselves safe with our possessions. We give God our 10%. Now I got the rest of the 90 to live off of. And there's a different way to live. Hard to do in the United States of America. We have so much stuff and so many possessions. It's, it's just easy to make ourselves feel safe. And the goal in the church often is just even the way that we communicate. It's having your best life now and having lots of stuff and God blessing you. And I don't know. What if blessing looks like letting it all go <laughs> as often as yeah. you can? That needs to be the goal of our spirituality is pouring the cup out, not filling the cup up. Yeah. Interesting. Overseas, yeah. um, my best friend just got back from YWAM and he was telling me, I can't remember what uh, country he was in, but he was telling me that as he was telling people about the gospel, they were saying, you mean I just have to just stop doing what I'm like, you, you mean I have to just let go? Mm. <laughs> I can just give everything to him? Yeah. Like, and it's, it's so reversed from, from where we're at right now. Cause it's like, it's almost like, uh, like the gospel is like taking in and taking in and taking in and taking in, mm-hmm. but it's like I'm just gonna I'm gonna let everything go when it comes to giving, when it comes to to my energy, when it comes to uh my my words of affirmation, my um my affection for people. I'm just gonna yeah and let it go. Yep. Um, so, but it's a beautiful thing when you get to a place, and it should be the goal for all of us that yep. we get to the place where every waking moment of our lives, we're not thinking. How can I defend and enhance the being known as me? I mean, think about the fear and the anxiety and the war and the violence in our world that come just from that. How can I defend and enhance myself? The spirituality of the Gospels is how can I use this finite thing that God has given to bless and serve and build up the world until it's all gone? And that's the saints are the people who live that, who live that reality to the very end, that it's just that radical gift. And I think I honestly think that all of us can do this. Back to Mother Teresa, she said that holiness was the ordinary goal um, of every Christian. That's what we're, su- we're supposed to be radical. And I've seen it. I've seen people be radicals living in North Colorado Springs. I've seen people be radicals living in central Wisconsin, just like I've seen people be radicals living in places like Pakistan and in Niger. So it's not a matter of context. And that's what people get wrong. They go, well, I can't do this because I live in Colorado Springs. Or I can't do this because I live in LA or New York City or whatever. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You are called to be radical straight in the place that God has called you. Right. Yeah. So Andrew, sort of wrapping up, like why? So when we come and, and we serve with our hands open mm-hmm. and when we come and, 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 we, and we give generously and, and gracefully, how much different will our church experience be? Like rather than just, oh, I show up every day and I worship and I go home and I'm just not really involved. What's what's the difference in your church life going to be? Well, what's in I, it for me? I, I, I think you'll actually probably enjoy it because you're not looking for you. Mm-hmm. Jesus said whoever tries to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will, will keep it for the gospel. So I, I think if you come into the church following Jesus into the church and going, I'm not here to get out of this. I'm here to give all I can to this. 
judgment goes out the window. I'm not judging the church anymore. I'm not holding the church up to some standard of like, you have to meet all these needs for me. Um, I, you can actually love the church and you can appreciate whatever church you're called into for all of her quirks and all of her inconsistencies and all of her contradictions and even the places where she's just downright backwards and wicked. Because sometimes we are. Because we still need Jesus to have mercy on us and save us. And it'll fill you with compassion. You go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to pray for these people. And I'm not, I've got my faults. So me joining this church means that the sin of this church has now been enhanced in some way. So I'm mm. in need of mercy. I just think it changes the whole dynamic right. of the experience. Coming in with open hands, coming in with humility, coming in with a spirit of wanting to build up and submit. Ugh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Beautiful. It's really good. Well, well, Andrew, thank you. Yeah, yeah. pleasure, guys. The, really enjoy this conversation and hope that that we may have given you guys a little more perspective or maybe inspired you to, to next next Sunday, go to church with your hands open versus trying to, I don't know, what? Don't consume. Take. Don't, don't take. consume. Don't mm-hmm. take. Give. Give. Um, and see how that changes. Um, hey, Amen. if you guys have any questions for us, you know where you can reach us. Um, our email is nick at trainingground.com. Luke at trainingground.com, Instagram DMs, whatever it may be. We'd love to try to answer your questions or find the answers. So just 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 get at us. Yeah. Also, if you want to hear any topics, then uh, that's also an avenue you can take to express that thought. Also, hey. go check out the New Life podcast. That's where Andrew does if you want to hear more of Andrew. Yeah, it's yeah. called the Essential Church Podcast. It's really we do good. A lot of, it's a lot of shop talk around ministry, but I yep. think it's really relevant for people sitting in the proverbial pews. Yeah, it's really good. I, I've listened to several episodes and, it's a great podcast. Go check that out. Uh, if you're in the Springs, check out New Life Church. It's pretty cool. That's where I, I go, I guess. Um, but other than that, this is TG Garage Talks with Andrew Arndt talking about church in your 20s. And I'm Nick. And I'm Luke. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks.